And hey, will you welcome Beth to the rug? Thank you. Thank you. It's really good to be with you all. It's, it's really good to be with you all this morning. Um, a couple weeks ago, Jason gave me a call. Our lead pastor, Jason, gave me a call. And he said, hey, Beth, in a couple weeks, we're going to be talking through stages of faith. Would you be willing to cover a weekend? And I said, sure. Why don't you tell me a little bit more about what you're thinking? So he um, said, you know, we're going to be talking about stages of faith. And I'd love for you to describe your own narrative journey through the stages of faith. So I was like, sure, no problem. He said, and then could you talk about the liminal spaces? So we're on the phone. And literally, I'm Googling liminal spaces, right? Because I think I know what it means, but I just want to make sure I'm tracking with him, and it means those fringe spaces between the stages of faith. So I'm like, sure, no problem. I've been through plenty of those. I will gladly talk through that. He said, oh, and then could you also talk about parenting through the stages of faith? And so, man, I said yes, but guys, we have a lot of ground to cover this morning, okay? So, and I, I just want to ask you to stay with me. If you are not a parent in this room, that's okay. I think this is actually a conversation that we need to have together as a community as we um, raise up the next generation of young people here in our town and in our church family. Um, so stay with me when we get to that section, okay? So we have been talking about this idea of spiritual anatomy, the anatomy of a spiritual revolution evolution. And we've been using those terms interchangeably, revolution evolution, because we recognize that sometimes spiritual growth is more of something, right? When we're growing as a person, as a leader, as a student, um, in our faith, we're, we're doing more of something, right? But then there are times where spiritual growth actually requires a complete 180, a complete change from what was to what is, and that's when we're calling it a spiritual revolution. It's this, uh, this idea of growth and change. And so we talked about that the first week. And then the second week, we um, also talked about how we see an example from Scripture. We actually talked about this the first week as well. We see an example from Scripture in the New Testament that maybe represents this idea that spiritual growth for the early followers of Jesus wasn't just more of something. It wasn't just more of Jesus, more of understanding their faith. It was actually a big change, a big revolution. And we see that when Mary, who's a dear friend of Jesus, she, um, her, one of her dearest friends, Jesus, has just died and disappeared and she's feeling pretty desperate and she actually runs into the resurrected Jesus on the road and she wraps her arms around him as if to say like oh thank God you're back now things can be normal again and Jesus says this really peculiar thing to her that was uh, maybe not typically normal for Jesus to communicate so directively but he says do not cling to me do not cling to me like what a peculiar peculiar thing to say to a friend who's like embracing you, hugging you, excited to see you again, do not cling to me. And it was because Jesus knew they were on the verge at the beginning of a spiritual revolution. And then last week we talked through these stages of faith and how in our human experience, all of us cycle through stages of faith. And we also described faith as not just um, what happens when we show up at church on the weekend or what happens when we read our Bible and we pray and we go through spiritual disciplines, but faith is who we are as a person, who we're becoming, the fullness of how we show up in the world around us. That faith is just more of an integrated view of how we show up in the world around us. 
and we um, talked through the book, The Critical Journey. This is what it looks like for those of you who are visual and love to see what it looks like. And if you're reading through this book, you might see, like, wait, we're using different words at church than, than are printed in this book. And that's on purpose. Um, Jason actually took this material and synthesized it and gave it descriptive words for words that reflect our community, maybe in a little bit more of a, um, an integrated way than the way uh, that you read it in here. These are, these are wonderful descriptors, but the stages that we're walking through today um, are maybe reflective of our community. So those stages look like this to some degree. And again, this is all of our human experience, right? Awakening, this is a stage where maybe you have a big experience or something stirring inside of you and there's this new awareness and it comes from a sense of awe or need or it comes from the combination of both, right? Speaking of parenting, like there's no other stage when you experience awe and need as when you're like holding this brand new baby that you've either birthed or that you are caring for and you're like, I don't know what to do, right? You're in awe of this beautiful baby, but you also are in great need. So it's this awakening, this awareness of awe and need. And then we move into learning and belonging. And a lot of times for most of us, this looks like plugging into our communities. So it can be our church community. It can be our school community. It can be wherever we're showing up and we're learning and belonging. So maybe we're following a few um, spiritual leaders or leaders in those communities and we're reading what they're writing and we're listening to their podcasts and we're just soaking it up like a sponge. And we're also trying to figure out what does it look like to belong in this community, right? Because there are ways of belonging in different communities. And then we move into this phase of contributing. And I would say this phase often looks like for many of us, it's when we start volunteering, it's when we start showing up with our gifts and talents, it's when we start maybe um, speaking or contributing with our voice, sharing our thoughts. So we start contributing. And then we move into this phase of breaking. And I would say breaking um, looks different in different seasons and it looks different for each one of us. Sometimes breaking is um, when we experience those like nagging little questions that slowly chip away at our faith, right? It's, it happens slowly, it happens um, maybe quietly, it happens incrementally, but it's a breaking. And then there are other times where we experience a wall, we hit a wall and we um, actually break right? We feel like everything falls apart um, and we sort of have to rebuild our lives after that breaking or it's that we watch somebody else go through breaking and their breaking causes our breaking and so we go through breaking. And what comes after breaking, we didn't talk a ton about this last week or we didn't actually name it, but what comes after breaking is this idea of transformation and transcendence. And it's when we experience the love of God and the freedom of Jesus in ways that maybe we haven't before. There are other ways to talk about these stages of faith, and so maybe you've heard some of these. So we talk about, it's because it's a movement, right, through these stages. So we talk about it as order, disorder, or reorder or construction, deconstruction, or reconstruction, right? I'm sure a lot of us have heard those, those uh, terms before. And we're talking about this same movement through these stages of faith. I think it's important for us to understand a couple disclaimers about these stages of faith, that it is not a perfect map. There is not a right way or a wrong way to go through these stages of faith. It looks different for every one of us. I keep saying that, but it's so true. This is not a hierarchy. It does not mean that one stage is better or worse than the other. I think that there are some really healthy and resourceful ways we can show up in the different stages. And I think that there are some unhealthy or non-resourceful ways that we can show up. 
Um, so it doesn't mean that we're always moving up and to the right, right? For a lot of us, maybe for some of us it looks neat and tidy like this, but I would actually say for a lot of us it looks more like this. At least that's been my own experience in life, that it looks a lot more like this. I would also say another disclaimer is that this is not a factory. Right here at South Bend City Church, we talk about mantras, and one of our mantras is fields, not factories, because we understand that this idea of spiritual growth is an ecological process, that there are rhythms and there are seasons, and that it's not always a linear process, and you can't actually um, manufacture this process. So it's fields, not factories. This is not a factory. And the last disclaimer that I would add to this, because uh, I'm using some of Jason's recap here, um, you might actually cycle through more than one stage at a time. I know we heard this a lot last week after uh, the message that, hey, I kind of think that maybe I'm in two stages. Is that even possible? And I would say, as you hear me share some of my own journey, I think it's actually possible for us to be in at least two stages at one time. Because there's this outward movement through the stages of faith, and often what happens is there's also an inward movement. And so you can be at the same place in those stages, but you can also be in two different places. And that's totally normal. So I think this week, the question for us is this. What does this journey look like for me as a person and then as a parent. And I'm gonna share a little bit of my own journey with you, and this isn't so that you understand all of the pieces of Beth Grable, but that so that you understand and start to hear and piece together some of the stages of faith that you've gone through in your own life, some of your own movement through these stages. So I would say, um, I, the first stage I remember going through is as a 13-year-old girl. And I would imagine a lot of us, if we think back to our life, like we probably remember going through some sort of uh, movement through these stages of faith. And so I'm 13 and I'm in seventh grade going into eighth grade and I go to a high school in a really rural community. So seventh grade is with um, juniors and seniors and that feels a little disorienting, right? And I'm differentiating from my parents and so I'm just causing a lot of havoc at home. I'm the oldest, I'm like tip of the spear, right? If you're oldest, uh, you know what I'm talking about. And, um, and there's a lot of turmoil in my home and my parents changed churches during this time, which ended up being a good thing, but it was a really hard time for us to change churches because I had grown up in a really thriving youth group and I love that youth group. And here I am going through change in all these other areas of life. And then we changed churches too. And so I grew up in a fundamental Bible church and we um, changed churches to an evangelical free church. And so um, looking back, I really appreciate that move. You know, it, when you grow up in a fundamental Bible church, there is a love of God, but greater than the love of God is a fear of God. And when you operate from a fear of God, faith and religion start to be more about what you're doing or not doing than actually about just who you are as a person, right? There were a lot of do's and don'ts. There were a lot of rules and regulations. And it wasn't about like all these things that we're doing or not doing to love God. It was about all these things that we're doing or not doing so we don't fall out of favor with God. So that God still loves us at the end of the day. And so that transition was a big transition for me. I go to summer camp um, and, you know, I think for a lot of us who have had summer camp experiences, whether it's church camp or with friends or sports, like those are such fun times and they're so formative. But I go to church camp and I don't remember anything else about the week except that 
our um, counselors are from a local college and they lead worship and they're teaching and they're our counselors and leading us through fun games. And we sing a song and it wrecks me. And it was super simple. The words to the song were, I'm accepted. I'm accepted by the one who matters most. Right, so simple. But that was not my experience of God. And it just cracked me open. So I, I um, go back to school in the fall and I uh, kick into this learning and belonging phase. You know, I don't really, I'm between uh, church communities and so I don't really know what it looks like to learn and belong in this community or I'm figuring it out. Um, it's that high school time, like I said. And so I'm learning and belonging wherever I show up. Right? I'm learning and belonging at school, and I'm learning and belonging at church, and um, I do a lot of, did a lot of sports and music stuff, so I'm learning and belonging in those communities, and I'm learning and belonging and figuring out what it looks like to be a part of this group and this community and my family and all of these things. I'm learning and belonging. I'm soaking it up. And then I move into contributing. So I move through high school, and towards the end of high school, all of a sudden I start getting asked to like do things, right? Show up with, like volunteer in these certain things, or, um, or uh, speak into certain things, or lead certain things, and that feels really good, right? Because when you're asked or invited to lead things, it feels really good. So contributing can often be a time where our ego starts to emerge, and, um, and that's okay. An unchecked ego, is not okay, right? And there are seasons where we have to keep our ego in check or others help us keep our ego in check. Um, but it feels good. It's a season that feels really good because we're showing up and we're bringing the best of who we are to all the places that we're, that we're engaged in. And then there's breaking, right? There's breaking. So what looks like um, I'm continuing to contribute late into high school, I go to college, the contributing looks like it continues into um, young adulthood. But what happens is I show up at college, and so on the outside I'm doing this big contributing phase, and on the inside I start a new little inward movement through these stages of faith. So I show up at Catholic college, and I show up and I'm like, wait, my Catholic friends love Jesus too? Right, because that was not my experience. We had othered a lot of people. You know, there were, there were those of us who were following Jesus really neatly and tightly, and then there was everybody else. And so I realized, oh my gosh, my Catholic friends love Jesus too. Um, I played field hockey in college, and I um, show up and realize that my teammates, even um, um, no matter what groups they're identifying with, a lot of them identify with the LGBTQ community, and my teammates love Jesus too. Right? It was this huge awakening time for me because it was so different from the faith tradition that I grew up in. And so I'm awakening and I'm learning and belonging. Like, what does it look like to learn and belong in this community? And so I'm learning about Catholic character and I'm participating in these service projects and I'm leading campus tours and I love this place and I'm contributing. So I'm contributing on the outside and I'm contributing inwardly as well. And then I have the opportunity between my sophomore and um, junior year of college to spend some time in Hermosillo, Mexico, doing some service work with some of my classmates. And um, I started breaking a little bit. And it wasn't a big breaking, but it was like the little chippy questions that kind of gnaw at you or break at you. And I started wondering, like, why did we express our faith the way we did um, in, my, in the churches of my upbringing? Like, why didn't we talk about the sacraments? in the way I was now experiencing them. And why do we, why did we say that like, oh, faith had to look this way? I, and can it look this way too? Because I had these new experiences. And so I did a little mini breaking. 
but on the outside, I'm still contributing. So I finish college, I get married, I um, uh, jump into my first job. Both my husband and I are in education at that point. He was teaching and I was working in higher education at a local university outside of Philadelphia. And we get to this place where we realize our cross-cultural experiences up until that point had really shaped us. And it was the highest end goal for us to sell everything we owned and move halfway across the globe. And we were gonna serve in a community, right? So we think like, this is a big deal. This is what we need to do. This is the best way that we can contribute in this season. And so we do that. We sell everything we own except for two backpacks and two action packers, which are like big containers. And we move to a tiny island off the coast of Africa. And we are there to serve that community, to teach organized sports, and just um, be a part of those communities there. Uh, a couple months into our time, I hit a wall because I found out that I was expecting a baby. And that was not part of the plan. We had made a two-year commitment and we thought like, oh, we'll be here a lot longer than two years. And then a couple months in, I find out, wait, I'm expecting. And, uh, you know, so we did what uh, new parents in that season do. We like go, your life flashes before your eyes and you think about all the details. And so we go to like, oh my gosh, we can't have our baby on this island. Like the medical situation was really rough. There were people sharing beds and needles were being reused and critters were running all over the place in the medical facilities. And we think, man, if we have the option to go to Kenya to have this baby, that would be the best. And we're sure our teen leaders are gonna let us do that because they grew up there, they still had some connections there. So we say to our teen leaders, hey, we, you know, we're expecting, um, we are already thinking about when we have this baby, we would really love to uh, be excused to go to Kenya to have this baby. And our teen leader, I think much to our surprise and much to his surprise, he said, absolutely not you can have your baby here, you can go home to the US. Because like, what a better way to get plugged into this community than start your family here. And so that created a lot of conflict for us. So it looks like we're contributing, and then we start breaking because there's all this conflict. You know, I get really sick with malaria. Um, we're like, do we stay or do we go? We decide to go. And on our way um, off the island, one of our teammates says to us, you know, guys, this is a failure. And God will never honor you being in ministry or in service like this again. And so you just need to know about that. Like, you just need to know that ahead of time. So we broke. We both broke. We came back to the U.S. We had to start all over again. You know, just months before we had sold everything we owned. Um, and we just broke. And uh, I would say Matt probably rebounded a lot faster than I did because then I kicked into being a young mom and gosh, talk about awe and need, right? There was this huge sense of awareness. Um, eventually, we were able to connect with our team and have a, there was a lot of uh, forgiveness and reconciliation that went on. And we, we just recognized like we were broken, they were broken, and like broken people in conflict like hurtful things are always said in those moments, you know? But it was what led to our breaking. Then we move through a new season of stages of faith. And I think it's really important to understand that if you do life with someone else, like there will be times where you go through these stages in tandem together. And there will be times when you cycle through these stages the opposite, in opposite waves. And I just think that's helpful to understand because sometimes it can be like, hey, we're together on this or hey, I thought we were together on this, right? Yeah, you can relate. So we move into a new season. Matt goes back to teaching. I stay home with our boys. I hop into some family business stuff. Um, 
staying home with our boys was such a wonderful gift, and yet I also grew up in an environment where it was the expectation, and, um, and so I also really wrestled because I thought I have nothing else to give outside of my role as a, as a stay-at-home mom. And so I'm, I'm going through this phase of like awakening, and I'm starting to learn and belong, but I'm also wrestling, right? Because I'm a wrestler. I wrestle through a lot of things, and that's okay. That's just the way I'm wired. But we're awakening. We um, decide that we need community is still really important, so we plug into a large church in the area, not necessarily because we were excited about the church, but because we, like, we're starting all over again, and it's like, where do you go to find good community? Like, okay, check out the local church. That was our perspective. Um, and we needed a place to hide and to heal. And I think that those are two different things, hiding and healing. And so we're in this uh, church community for a little while. We get plugged into our neighborhood community. We're going through awakening. We realize we really love our neighborhood community. We're going to um, stay put at this church. We start learning and belonging. And we're getting involved in things. We're figuring out what it looks like to belong in these different areas again. We start contributing. People start asking us to step in to you know, share some thoughts or or uh, participate in some volunteer opportunities um, to the point where Matt actually um, was asked to be a pastor at the church that we were at. So he went from teaching to being a pastor. And I started um, breaking a tiny bit because I thought, I don't know how to be a pastor's wife. Like, I did not marry a pastor. I married a teacher. I do not want to be a pastor's wife. I do not what, know what this is about. I also had the opportunity to start grad school in that time, and um, I went to school for leadership and organizational development, but the school that I went to required a spiritual formations course for all of the master's students. And so I started the spiritual formations course. And so again, I'm learning and belonging. I'm contributing on the outside, but this spiritual formations course starts breaking me open. Because the, the one main goal of that course was that we were to journal. So we were to journal through a lot of our exercises, our readings, through our own spiritual practices. And it just became that safe place where I could ask a lot of the questions that I was afraid to ask in other spaces. And you know like a can of pop? Like once you crack the tab on a can of pop, you either have to like dump it out or drink it or else it's gonna go bad, right? And so it was like that journal was that tab on the can of pop for me. And I had to like either um, completely disregard those questions and push them away, or I had to lean into them. So I started asking a lot of questions about like, why do I believe what I, what I believe? And why does my faith tradition say that these things need to look this certain way in church or when we get to, together with other people um, in community? And just started asking a lot of questions. So I'm in grad school. Parenting gets really hard. We have two boys that are less than two years apart. One of them requires neurosurgery twice. Um, family dynamics get really messy for us. Um, finances are really hard for us. I go through a season where I have panic attacks and I don't realize they're panic attacks. I just think that it's like a heart condition that other people in my family have. And it's not until years later that I hear other people describing a panic attack and I realize like, that's what I had. It wasn't a heart problem, it was a panic attack. Um, I jump into a new job 
and I love my job. It's at a consulting firm. And one of the things that we do in that consulting firm is provide interim executive services for other organizations between their leaders. And so um, we had a homeless shelter reach out to us and say, hey, we really need a female interim executive director for a little while until we can get our feet under us because they hit a few really hard road bumps. So I was it. I got to step into this uh, shelter and um, be the executive director for a couple months. And um, that launched me into a couple months of nightly phone calls with the, with the police, of um, dealing with a bed bug infestation, of trying to navigate finances that were in complete disarray. Meanwhile, like I'm back to work for the first time since having my kids. And for those of you who have gone through that experience, it's a really hard experience because you kind of question like, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? And it just is hard. And so I'm, I, and, and my husband's a pastor. Like, what does that mean? You know, like, I don't, I don't know what this is supposed to look like because I'm not a pastor's wife. And I um, start to get nosebleeds and my hair starts to thin. And I go to a therapist because I'm falling apart on the outside and on the inside. And um, I think if my friends and my coworkers were to um, be here today, they would say, Beth, we never knew. And it was because all of my breaking was happening on the inside. I, was, I still look like I was contributing in these amazing ways, but I was breaking on the inside. I would show up at church and I would think like, wait, I thought spiritual growth was like a deeper or greater understanding of God and the way God wants us to live our lives and of these uh, spiritual disciplines, how we're practicing them. I didn't think that growth meant more people and more services and more campuses. And so all of this is going on in my life and I'm breaking. And you know, I wish I could tell you like, oh, one thing happened and I came out of that season, but I think it was just like, I had a partner who really loved me well, who gave me the space to show up at church, drop the kids off at their class and then go hide out in his office. And so I would like read my own book and drink my cup of coffee and I would listen to a podcast or listen to music. Um, and Matt just really gave me the space to like go through my own breaking and he didn't try to fix it. He just created space for me. Also during that time, I remember laying in my bed one night um, and just having this overwhelming sense that God loved me, like overwhelming sense, regardless of who I was in that moment or what I was doing or what I wasn't doing, that God really, really loved me. And eventually I came out on the other side of that breaking. And then it kicked off another movement. Eventually we moved to California. And I think anytime you physically move or start something new or you're in new relationships or new spaces, that it's the natural progression to go through these stages of faith. But that's what it looked like for me. It was always this big outward movement while I went through one or two small inward movements at the same time. And again, I hope that I share that because I hope that you can start to identify what those movements have looked like for you in your own life. I also think it's really important for us to understand that there are these weird, funky places between these stages called liminal spaces. And a liminal space is just that fringe space between these stages of faith. And liminal spaces can be dark and they can be lonely. Um, they're the spaces where it feels like God's really silent. Um, they're spaces of a lot of confusion 
They are the spaces where you wonder if you're ever gonna get out of them or if you're ever progressing, if you're, ever, if you're even moving forward. Sometimes they're the spaces that actually kick us back to the start of these stages of faith. You may go through the stages of faith and get to contributing and kick back to awakening, learning, and belonging, contributing, and that's okay. That's normal. Sometimes those liminal spaces do that to us. But I just want to encourage you that if you are in a liminal space or when you get to a liminal space, that you're not alone and it's normal and the best way out is through. Jay said that last week as he was talking through the stages of faith that the best way out is through and I think that's so true. So true. I want to encourage you to um, stay connected to community in that liminal space. And maybe if you're if your current community doesn't really understand where you're at as you move through these stages of faith, it's okay to find a, a new friend or a new book club or a wine club or a whiskey club. Find a space where you can show up and people know you and they understand you and they're willing to lean in with you, right? But stay connected to your old community too because they know you. And I think maybe it's good for them to see you go through these liminal spaces or these stages of faith. It's okay to go to therapy or see a spiritual director, right? Some of us need permission, so I want you to hear it's okay to go to therapy because we're not meant to do life alone. We're not meant to do life alone. I also just want to encourage you that um, when we're in these spaces or as we move through these stages of faith, that we can also look to scripture and see other people in the Bible who have gone through the same movement through these stages of faith. So when you have time on your own, I would encourage you to read through the life of Peter. And we can find the life of Peter in the Gospels, the four Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, as well as Acts. And we see Peter go through these stages of faith, not just once, perhaps twice, maybe even a third time. Right? Peter is one of the first disciples of Jesus. He is one of Jesus' closest friends. He goes with Jesus into some really special places and spaces. He also is the one who denied Jesus after Jesus was arrested. And then he's the one who um, really kicks off the leadership of the church the way we read the New Testament. And so I would encourage you, read through the life of Peter. Read through the life of Hannah from 1 Samuel 1 and 2. We see Hannah cycle through all, all of these stages of faith in her life. Hannah is um, barren. She's without a child. She would desperately love to have a child. She eventually gets pregnant. She realizes what a gift this is. Um, when her baby is two years old, Hannah actually gives her baby up to be trained by the local priest um, in service to God. And we see her cycle through these stages of faith the way this story is told in 1 Samuel. We also see these stages of faith in Moses, and I would encourage you to read through Exodus. Moses goes through a lot of dark places, a lot of quiet places, but he moves through these stages of faith in a way that's really, um, that's normal and profound, and I think that you can um, just identify with some of his experiences. So my hope for you is that you see that there's constant movement through these stages of faith, right? And that for those of us um, who are right now fully engaged in parenting, that we recognize that there are constant stages for our kids as well. So here's the deal. Um, we're going to talk about parenting, but I, a couple disclaimers. First of all, I'm not the expert, okay? I have a 14-year-old and a 16-year-old, and I am in the middle of it with you all. And I had to actually call and ask a lot of you. I did a lot of cups of coffee the last week because I wanted to hear from you all, like, what does this look like for you? 
Like how do, whether your kids are six or 16 or 26, like how do we move through these um, stages of faith with our kids? Another disclaimer is that we are all in this together, okay? So whether you are a parent or a caregiver or you are a teacher or a coach or a mentor or a trainer or you volunteer with our kids every weekend, guys, this is a community conversation because we are together raising up the next generation of youth. And so this is for all of us. Okay? And if you're not a parent, you've been parented, right? And we all, have, uh, we all have thoughts about the way we were parented and the way we wish we would have been parented. And so I think sometimes in hearing like healthy ways to interact with youth, we can also reconcile with some pieces of our past as well. So we're going to talk about parenting. We're also going to take a fields, not factories approach. So I'm going to try my best not to be prescriptive because parenting is not prescriptive. These stages of faith are not prescriptive. Our movements throughout life are not prescriptive, right? There are seasons and there are rhythms, and this is a fields, not factories approach to parenting. So for those of us who grew up in the church, we may have heard this verse quite a bit when it came to parenting. And that verse is Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And I don't know about you all, but my church used this verse a lot, and it was a really beautiful verse. But what happened was we loaded it with a lot of instructions on how to parent. How to parent, how to discipline, how to teach our kids about the Bible, how to teach our kids um, about like obedience in church, right? Because we want to have like perfect kids in church um, or in different spaces. And so there were a lot of things attached to this verse. But I think if we, if we listen to this verse in other translations, like maybe we've kind of missed the mark and maybe there's a little bit of hope that we can get from this verse. So just a few other translations. Start off children on the way they should go, and even when they're old, they will not turn from it. Another translation says, train children in the right way, and when old, they will not stray. Another translation, this is my favorite, this is Eugene Peterson, um, is paraphrased in the message. He says, point your kids in the right direction, and when they're old, they won't be lost. Point your kids in the right direction, and when they're old, they won't be lost. But I still think we ask, like, so what is the right direction? Like, tell us the right direction, right? It's amazing for those of us who have come from deconstruction, reconstruction processes. We um, don't want people telling us necessarily what to believe. We want people asking us uh, questions, right? But then we get to parenting or we get to teaching or we get to um, kids' classes on the weekends and we want to know the exact thing we need to do in order to help these kids uh, listen and obey and love God. And so I'm just going to give you a couple encouragements. My first encouragement is remember you're human. Okay, you're human. You will make mistakes. You will not always have the answers. You will have to go to your kids like I just did this past week where you're like, oh man, I'm so sorry I said that. Can I have a do-over? You know, like that happens all the time with electronics at our stage. Like, oh, you lost your phone because you mouthed off. And it's like, Okay, after a little while, you're like, was that really what that situation warranted? You go back and you say, hey, I'm sorry, let's have a do-over, right? You'll have to give yourself grace. You'll have to remember that you're growing and developing and learning and changing just like your kids are. Sometimes it actually helps to pause and think, like, when I was 13, 
Like, what did I, what was my experience of the world at that time? Or when I was 26, what did I think I could do or not do at that time? Like, how do we meet our kids in the places and, uh, and, young, and our young adults, how do we meet them in the places where we wish we would have been met in those years as well? Our actions speak louder than our words in this way, right? You can say all the words you want, but your kids are gonna pay attention to your actions. They're gonna pay attention to your actions. So just remember that you're human, that you make mistakes, that you have to say you're sorry, and that's okay. The second one is be a container, not a bento box or an ice cube. And what I mean by this is we wanna create a safe structure for our kids to learn and belong and grow and develop. We don't wanna be like so tight and rigid like an ice cube tray or a bento box, those like new fancy lunch boxes, right? that have all these tiny little compartments. We wanna create structure, a safe place for our kids to experience structure. And here's what I know. I know um, a lot of parents who are parenting through this phase who have gone through deconstruction, reconstruction, and they say like, well, I just, I just don't wanna be like too structured. Research shows that our kids thrive on structure and they will seek it out in whatever environment they're in. So if you're not providing structure, they'll still seek it out somewhere, right? And think about when you're a teenager or a young adult, sometimes you wanna seek out the structure because you wanna know how to move beyond the structure, right? You wanna know like where are the lines because I just wanna step over those lines. And that's okay. Create a container, not a structure, not an ice cube tray, not a bento, not a bento box. I think um, last week this is uh, a moment when Jason said, you know, our kids will ask, where do babies come from? Right, where do babies come from? And when they're five, you give a certain kind of answer. And when they're 15, you give a different kind of answer. And so my encouragement in being a container is that I think it's our responsibility to always be authentic, but know when to be transparent, right? We can always be authentic. We can always tell our kids the truth, but there will be moments and seasons when they need this part of the truth, and there will be moments and seasons when they need this part of the truth. And so understand, like, when is it appropriate to be transparent? You know, when you, um, when you go through your own stages of faith and now on this side of things, you know so much more than you knew in your uh, awakening, learning, and belong, belonging phase. Like, it's like that, the uh, talking to your kids about babies, like, when you know where babies really come from and you have all this new knowledge, you don't always go back to your kids and be like, well, let me tell you all of the new insights that I know now, right? Now that I've gone through these phases on my own or these stages on my own. You wait for the moments that are appropriate according to their developmental age. And then you lean into those moments and you create a container, not an ice cube tray or a bento box. I also think in this phase, it's really, or in, with this encouragement, it's really important that we decide on essentials. So for us as a church, we have four mantras, right? Think about what it's like for you and the way you operate in your house, in your classroom, out on your fields or on the ice, wherever that is for you, whatever that looks like. What are the essentials for that container? I know for our family, it's, hey, love God, love others, and love yourself. And if you look at the life of Jesus in the New Testament, we see Jesus was a, a listener and a learner. And so for us, we always talk uh, to our kids, and we learn this the hard way. Like, I'm not perfect, you know? I'm like shouting, be a listener and a learner, but I'm not doing it on my own. Um, but like, Jesus was a listener and a learner, and so I think, decide, maybe there's a lot that you're not sure about, maybe there's a lot that maybe you might not believe anymore, but there are essentials, right? What do you know for sure? 
And so for us, we know for sure that we're going to love God, that we're going to love others, we're going to love ourselves, and that we're going to um, learn and listen well. So decide on your essentials. I would also encourage you to trust the text. And what I mean by that is that I really believe, guys, that we can trust the Bible as it reveals the nature and the character of God, and that we can trust the Bible as it points to Jesus. Right, that's one of our foundational statements here at South Bend City Church. We trust, we believe the Bible as it points to Jesus. And so I think that we can trust the text. A lot of us have a lot of questions, especially about some of those, te- those stories in the Old Testament, right? We're debating the, the historic, historical accuracy of some of those stories, and yet the true nature of God is revealed throughout the text, and we can trust that true nature of God. And we can trust the Bible as it points to Jesus. Uh, I think that it's really important for us to embrace the questions and learn from the wonder and the curiosity in this phase. You know, we went through this season where we had friends who every morning, they had uh, boys the same age as our boys, and every morning they would read a chapter from the Old Testament, a chapter from the New Testament before school. We're like, wow, that's really impressive. We're going to try this too. It did not work well. You know, (laughs) that's kind of, it gets pretty freaky sometimes. You read one uh, chapter from the Old Testament, one chapter from the New Testament, and the stories are like, whoa, and you're like, okay, now it's time to go to school. You know, (laughs) but I would say like, yeah, just trust the text. Embrace the wonder, the curiosity. Our kids say the cutest things. Stacy, our kids pastor, said a couple weeks ago, the kids were looking at um, story. They were talking about the story of Jesus walking on water, and there's this picture of Jesus standing in a long white robe on the water outside of the boat. And uh, some kids like, "Hey, does Jesus have a swimsuit?" You know, like totally legitimate question. And I think like embrace the wonder and the curiosity of that moment. Like, what did people wear to swim back in the day? Like, Google it, look it up, right? Another uh, parent was talking through the creation story with their kid, their uh, young son, and halfway through the young son, they get to the place where it's like Adam and Eve are talking to the serpent, and the young son is like, wait a minute, uh, animals don't talk, you know? And the parent's like, okay, and they just go with it. They didn't have to have an answer in that moment. They just keep moving with the story. Um, There's another mom in our community, and she told me a story this past week about how two years ago, her nine-year-old daughter says, Mom, does God listen? And she was like, of course God listens to us. And she's like, well, he's not answering my prayer. And the mom was like, well, you know, God knows what's best for us, and he doesn't always answer our prayers if we're not um, praying for what's best, because God knows what's best. And she was like, but I'm praying for world peace. And... (laughs) The mom was just like, wow. I mean, she actually stepped into a conversation about Augustine and free will, and like, it sounded like it was an amazing conversation, but not all of us can do that, right? Not all of our kids are ready to, to um, learn a critical perspective at that point. And so we just need to lean into the wonder and the curiosity, and we want our kids to know about these stories because we want them to know that there's a storyteller. If there are stories, then there is a storyteller. And we want our kids to know that deep down inside. The last thing I would encourage you with is just to trust God for the long haul of their journey. That we are responsible for creating that safe space, that container, a little bit of that structure as our kids are learning and growing and developing. But ultimately, we can't control the outcome. Right? Those of you who have parented older kids or who have walked alongside um, your college students who are part of your community, you know we can't, uh, we can't control the outcome. I didn't want to be controlled, right? 
I don't want my parents to try to control my outcome. Um, they had to do a lot of letting go because I didn't want to be controlled. And so I think that we need to trust God for the long haul of their journeys. Um, that's not a straight path either. It won't look like that, like up and to the right arrow. If your journey looks like that crazy wild arrow, like their journey is gonna look like that too. And that's okay. The important part is to stay connected, to stay open to the questions, to stay open to the conversations, to lean in, to learn together, to have those experiences where you're learning and growing together, and that they know it's okay to disagree. Like, what better um, preparation for the rest of their lives than for our kids to learn you can share space with someone you love and you can completely disagree, right? So trust God for the long haul of their journey. I had, um, or have, a dear friend in my table group, and she said, you know, Beth, when I was at these places where I was really, really concerned about my kids, um, I would just pray for them. And this is like not a pat answer. It's not just like, you know, Jesus is my best friend kind of thing. It's like a, when we don't know what else to do, we can pray for our kids, right? You, we have to go somewhere with all of the anxiety and the angst and the frustration of what we're going through. And it's not fair for our kids if we dump it on them, right? It's not, it's not always fair for our partner or for our uh, teaching team or the rest of our coaches for us to dump all of our frustration on those people. But it is okay to pray. We can pray for our kids in those moments. We can pray for our teenagers and our young adults. And guys, I'm guilty of this. I don't, I don't do this very often. I forget. I forget to do this. And I would say for me, when I, you know, last week we talked about how sometimes prayer is actually a really hard thing for us when we move through these stages of faith, if we've deconstructed, reconstructed, or we're in one of those liminal spaces because we think like, does it even matter? Does God even hear what I have to say? But I think that prayer is a really important exercise for us, not because, of, not because of what happens, but because of the connection that we have with God. So when I am really frustrated and at the end of my parenting rope, I actually find a lot of comfort in this verse. It comes from Ephesians and it's the message again, Ephesians 3, 20 through 21, and it says, God can do anything you know far more than you could ever guess or request in your wildest dreams. God does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, God's spirit deeply and gently within us. And I just think that is a beautiful reflection of the movement that we go through in these stages of faith, whether it's us or whether it's the young people in our lives. And that our stages of faith, they will always be full of movement, of mystery, of paradox, and it's not always our job to figure it all out. It's our job to stay with that movement. It's our job to keep moving forward. It's our job to um, walk alongside our kids as they're moving forward as well. So we're gonna put some resources online for those of you who are like, okay, but tell me like the right way to do this, right? Who still want more? There are a couple really helpful resources, three books and two podcasts, and those will um, be online later today. Um, and next week, when you show up, we're going to talk about what do these stages of faith look like for us as a church community. So thanks for being here today. Thank you, Beth. This is a song we'll close with. Um, it's been helpful to me along the journey, and uh, maybe you'll find it helpful as well.
tried to stand my ground, tried to understand, can't seem to find my faith again. Water on the sand, grasping at the wind, I keep on falling short. Please be my strength. Please be my strength. I don't have any more. I don't have any more. Looking for a place where I can plant my faith. I know for sure I cannot create it I cannot sustain it It's your love that's keeping me Please be my strength Please be my strength I don't have any more I don't have any more At my final breath I hope that I can say Fought the good fight of faith Pray your glory shine On this doubting heart of mine All would know that you This is our benediction for this morning. May you have the understanding to see your own story in these stages of faith. And may you embrace whatever season you're in, knowing that soon and eventually you will move on. May you have the strength to keep moving through the liminal spaces, those spaces of darkness and doubt, knowing that there is light and freedom and peace on the other side of those spaces. May you fully trust God with your own journey, as well as with the journey of your kids, of our kids. May you accept and embrace the experience that life with a loving God will always be full of movement and mystery and paradox. And grace and peace be with you. Love you guys, see you next week.